Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Welcome back. This is the Faith Tested by Fire podcast, and this is where I talk about the tests and the trials of life and what the Bible says about facing these things and overcoming them. So, you know, the Bible, of course, is divided up into two testaments. You have the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Bible says that the old hasn't passed away. The old is actually still there. And it gives the illustration of wineskins. It says you don't pour new wine into an old wineskin or else the new wine will burst the old skin. And likewise, you don't pour um, old wine into a new wineskin. So the New Testament is the new wineskin with the new wine. The Bible says it's a new and a better covenant established upon better promises. What that basically means is the Old Testament was based, uh, in, in most part, on the law, uh, on, on keeping these different statutes and, and these different laws. And it goes into a lot of detail on what they actually had to do. But there was a blessing that came with keeping the law. And then, unfortunately, there was a cursing that was applied to not keeping the law. And so the thing about the law is, um, even today, most people think that they can keep it. But like, uh, like the Bible says, if, if you there's just one law, but there's many points to it. If you break one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. So when we look at even further back into the beginning, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for example, uh, after the flood, then we can see that um, these people were blessed apart from the law. In other words, uh, Moses brought the law, but before Moses, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they had a faith-type covenant or agreement uh, with God. And that's why the Bible says that Abraham is the father of those that come by faith. And then afterward, we see Moses who brought the law in. And the reason why the law was brought there was because the Bible says of, of sin. The law wasn't written for righteous, the righteous people. It was written for the unrighteous people. That kind of be like saying that, well, um, if you have a neighborhood street, and um, I, I don't, who knows when the speed limits were first created, but I imagine probably people flew down the street as fast as they could go, you know, and, and they still do it even if there is a law. And that's the funny thing about laws and regulations. The laws and regulations don't change anything, really. I mean, um, you know, if, if there wasn't a 15-mile speed limit, then I guess if the person's going 40 in a 15-mile-an-hour zone, then uh, they can't be pulled over and, and a ticket written to them. So uh, the law is what, what makes us aware of um, right and wrong, righteous and unrighteous. When it's finally put down on paper, um, you can see it for what it is. But nobody ever kept the law. That's the, that's the point of it, except for Jesus. And so Jesus not only kept the law, but he was also the seed of Abraham that was spoken of way back um, in the Old Testament. So he satisfied both sides. He, he came according to faith, and he kept all of the points of the law. But if you read Deuteronomy 28, starting in um, verse number 1, it says there, it says that it shall come to pass that if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, and then it goes on to say to carefully, um, to observe carefully all his commandments. And, and see, that's where the stumbling block is, because you know what? Most people do some of them, uh, but hardly nobody's observing all of them. 
And if you look in the book of Leviticus, there's a lot in there. So what if you don't do those things? Well, the unfortunate, there's a flip side to the coin because it says that if you don't do all of those things, then all these curses will come upon you. So there's a, it's a performance-based covenant in the Old Covenant. But yet the Bible says that the New Covenant is a better covenant established upon better promises, and uh, Jesus was that fulfillment of, of keeping it. And so we paid the price for us not keeping the law, for not keeping faith, and um, everything was done on our behalf. That's why this is a, a grace-based covenant, the New Covenant. So grace means that you're the recipient of God's unearned favor just by placing your faith in Jesus. Well, Abraham was the recipient of God's unearned favor also. If you remember in the last podcast, I was mentioning that he lied actually twice about Sarah, whose name was Sarai at the time before God's promise came to him. His name was Abram. And the, the uh, basically he lied and he told um, two people that that was his sister, not his wife, because she was such a beautiful woman that he was afraid that they would kill him and then take her as their own. And so he felt that if he just said he was the brother, that he his life would be spared. But yet when both of these men um, reacted as though that was uh, Sarah was available for the taking, uh, then God came against them. And, and now that was no fault of their own. That was Abraham's fault because he was the one that lied about it. But yet God didn't deal with Abraham. He dealt with them. Well, if that's not a good example of, of God's favor being upon you apart from works, apart from the law, then what is? In other words, he's lying and he's still getting blessed. So what happens sometimes is depending how you've been brought up in the church world and depending on what type of messages you've heard, a lot of times uh, there's been a great emphasis on on what you do, on what you say, and how you act. In other words, yes, it's it's Christ, it's like a Christian covenant with like Old Testament principles mixed in. And you know, you can't mix the two covenants together. And the illustration the Bible gives about that is wine. You don't put new wine into an old wineskin, or else it will burst the wineskin. Well, people are trying to keep the law, but then live under grace. And so how, how does that work out? Well, it, it really doesn't. Why? Because... Uh, with the law, there's always condemnation. There's always a, a remembrance, the Bible says, of sins. Every year, they would make sacrifices for the sins of that year under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, under the law. <clears throat> and so they would make sacrifices based on their income. In other words, not everybody could afford to sacrifice a lamb. But the Bible says under the New Covenant, there is, a, there is no remembrance of sin. There's only one sacrifice made once and for all. And it says, Jesus, by his blood, entered into the holy place, the holiest of holies, once and for all, uh, to purchase redemption uh, for each and every one of us. Matter of fact, the price has been paid for every human being that has ever or will ever live, for every single sin that ever has, will, or uh, been committed. And so you look at it that way, it's actually like an overpayment. But only the people that believe, right, only the people that have faith are actually going to benefit and have that applied to their account. So it's kind of like that. Even though salvation is free, you still have to receive it. And everything that God does, it works the same way. It's the same system made by the same God, right? So unless you believe, then you don't benefit from 
whatever that benefit may be. So in other words, forgiveness is, is there, but you have to believe in Jesus to get there, right? Jesus said there's been no, the Bible says there's been no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. So right there, a lot of people might object and say, well, what about the guy that's living in the, uh, what about the family? Let's put a whole family in this illustration, living in the darkest, deepest reaches of Africa a thousand years ago. Uh, are you are you trying to tell me that those people will go to hell? Well, no. If you read the book of Romans, the Bible talks about how God deals with people that haven't received, that, that were you know don't know about the commandments, don't know about the law, and He reveals Himself to them in in a few different ways. Number one, it says that the commandments are actually in our heart, right? They're written on our conscience, but if you break them enough, you can sear your conscience. And, and so the Bible says a lot about conscience also. If you go into 1 John, it says that if our uh, conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him um, because we uh, obey his word and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. We hear verses like that. If you've been brought up in a legalistic type of, of church, or been exposed to those kinds of teachings, your mind automatically goes back to the law again. And as long as you think about the law, you know, you're going to be aware of ways that you've missed it. But because your conscience is letting you know when you're doing things wrong. You know, so people might say, people have debated for years, just incredible things. If you ever have a chance to read through church history and how people believed over the last several hundred years, for example, some people believe that if you ever drank alcohol, you're going to hell. You can't be saved or you'll lose your salvation. Um, other people taught that, you know, if you ever go to the movies, you know, uh, again, that's sin against God. Or if you ever eat certain types of food or smoke cigarettes or, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. So once you start believing those things, you're, leaving, you're living in a state of uh, perpetual self-condemnation. Not God-condemnation, but self-condemnation. And so when that scripture says, um, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God, what happens if your heart does condemn you? Well, then there's a lack of confidence. And confidence is just an, a synonym for faith. And so you have a lot of people living um, estranged, I guess you might say, from the promises and the blessings of God because all of the focus is on themselves. They look at the cross as just like an occurrence that happened once but now it's up to them to toe the line. It's up to them to walk the straight and narrow, right? So where's the dividing point? Because obviously you can pull out scriptures that says that say things, for example, for by grace you've been saved and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, right? And then, you know, you'll find other verses that seem to put more emphasis on what you do and what you say. And I, I would say that this is trying to like separate the heads from the tails, you know, and still keep the coin intact. You can't do it. Both truths live side by side. And I think the easiest way to, to explain it would be you have to desire in your heart to do the right thing. You have to have the desire in your heart uh, to be a righteous man or woman, to live a righteous life and to do good and not do evil. That has to be a desire in your heart. Now, if you have that desire, you're still going to do stupid things, right? You're, st you're still going to miss it. But you can make the adjustments, right, and, and, and walk get out of the dark and get back into the light again. 
what is the let's look at this a little bit further i wasn't even going to talk about this we're going to talk more about the blessing but now that i've opened this can up um let me just keep keep talking about it it says um this is the new king james bible um, in First John, it says that if you know if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, right? If the person says he has no sin, but then it 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 says that uh, he who believes sins not, <laughs> in, you know, in the same book. So which is true? Which is true? Right? Well, they both have to be. You can't unless you can and keep that balance before you and not get pushed off on either side. And I know, yeah, that might go back to, um, but let's let's read this verse. It says, if we have, um, this is First John chapter 1, verse number 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? Practice makes perfect. Well, not exactly, but practice makes better, right? It says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. That means ongoing, cleanses, not past, not future, present tense. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Then in the next verse, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, you know, there's there's two sides of us. There's the redeemed part. That's the real you, the inner man, the spirit person that wants to do the right thing, that wants to make the right choices, that wants to please God, that wants to love your neighbor, that wants to be generous, that wants to live a meaningful life. And then there's that other nature that's inside of you warring against that, that warring against you, right? It's because you're in this this body, you're in this meat suit, and you're getting signals. It's kind of like having a computer, and you click on something and maybe a window doesn't open. You know, and then maybe you have to run some, uh, you know, a defrag program, or you have to run a malware removal, right? Because the system that we're in is not perfect. The real you on the inside the person that leaves this body has been redeemed, washed by the blood. All, all of those things that we've heard preached uh, for years. Well, maybe not all of us, but some of us. And the point is, as long as you is, if you strive to do the right thing, you're still going to make mistakes. But the thing is, is that your conscience will not be at war with you to the level that it will be if you don't even make the effort. Right? And I believe in everyone because... Every every true believing believer, I, I truly believe, wants to do the right thing. And I believe that every person that misses it is uh, disgusted, disheartened, uh, frustrated by their inabilities sometimes to do what they want to do. Um, Paul himself had that struggle that went on on the inside of him. Um, and, and he talks about it a lot in the book of Romans. Let me get there, and I'll read it to you. It's in the, um, I believe, here we go. It is in the seventh chapter. Or, no, maybe it's under, <laughs> yeah, you can just go and read the whole book. You'll find it. No, but I mean, it actually starts talking about this. The whole book is actually about this. Um, but in um, at the end of chapter 7, it says that, uh, this is him talking. He says, 
uh, let's see here. Let's, let's start in uh, verse 15. It says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. Does that sound familiar? What I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Right. So whatever, whatever hang up or anything you struggle with, you deal with, if you're in that position, that's kind of like you're doing the same thing. You're agreeing that the law is good. But then it says here in verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I don't know anybody personally that I've ever talked to that can't relate to that verse. I'm talking about somebody who believes. And then he says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I do not do, that I practice. Right, so it's kind of like, um, now I, I'm sure he's, he's not practicing um, theft or murder or anything like that, but you know, you know, deep down on the inside sometimes. Now, here's an example. Have you ever felt uh, frustrated or envious or, or uh, even like feelings of jealousy and you didn't want to feel that way? You didn't want to think that way because it just, it brings you down. But that feeling is there. It's like the initial temptation. You know, or, or, or you feel like cheating or you feel like telling a story because telling the truth is going to open a can of worms and you don't want to get into it. Right. There's a lot of a lot of things we do. We justify it and then we feel disgusted about it over afterward. Example uh, from the New Testament was Peter. The Bible says he was acting like he was still under the law in the book of Acts when he was dealing with his countrymen. And then when he was among the Gentiles, he acted like he was free and so Paul approached him and rebuked him openly for, for acting like a hypocrite. You know, we do things like that all the time, and then we feel disgusted about it. Now, not every time, right? Sometimes we get it right, and we feel really good. And we think, you know, I got this, but then the next time, you know, you, you go back to the way you were before. So it's a, it's a struggle. And that's actually what he, what he says here. I find a law, in verse 21, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members or my body warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he sums it up by saying, I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord, that's, who delivered, that's who's going to deliver you. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So, there's the struggle. There's a struggle there, but look what it says in verse number 8, or I'm sorry, chapter 8. After the 25th verse of chapter 7, a new chapter begins, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So uh, Jesus died, and is, and then, of course, some translations say who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But, uh, and some don't say that. So, you know, if you focus on that, again, you're, you're back in, in a performance mode. But um, verse number nine is the one that really settles it. Because whether that other part of that verse is in there or not, verse number nine says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So that doesn't mean you're not in the body, of course, you're still in the body. You can still look and see yourself and, and know you're there. But 
um, according to from what God sees, because of what Jesus has done, God sees you in the spirit. He sees your spirit, man. And so, yeah, as long as you live, you're going to have to make an effort to do the righteous thing. Because if you if you just give in, right? If you just give in to temptation, then everything just unravels. You know, your peace goes. The your uh, the condemnation builds, and we live a unhappy, unsatisfied life. You know, and that, that's the thing about um, evil. Evil is never satisfied. Unrighteousness, sin, it's just never satisfied. It's only satisfied for a split second. And then it needs to keep on keeping on. It's like a drug, actually. Whereas um, things that are righteous, things that are good, they do satisfy you deep down on the inside in a way that your natural mind can't understand. So what does that, where does that leave us with blessings and cursings? Well, I, I believe that it's just like salvation. You know, you, you remind yourself, I am forgiven. Jesus did die for me, right? And that becomes more real in your heart than the fact that you make mistakes. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? There's, there's something about uh, if, if you pray or you, whether you're sitting in a chair or driving or walking through your house or walking outside through the woods, wherever you live, when you begin to pour out your heart to, heart to God and, and, and asking for forgiveness and asking to be led and asking to, uh, for him to guide you and help, whatever it is that you need, there's a sense of peace and assurance and rest that returns. Right? I, I know that if you believe, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right, so the idea here is whatever we talk about, whatever we focus on, right? If you focus on Jesus and what He did, and instead of focusing on yourself, then you're going to have some peace in your life that you didn't have before. You're going to have some growth. You're going to make some progress. But if you're always grading yourself, then you're always going to be coming up short. You're always going to feel frustrated. You're always going to feel like you can't give enough, do enough. Right? You're going to you're going to want to quit. Because the, the test that Jesus took was impossible for any other man that ever walked the earth to pass. Right? It took God himself to pass that test. Right? And he signed your name on that test that he took and credited it to your account. I know it's hard to believe because sometimes it doesn't feel like that's the truth. But the reason it doesn't is because we're always talking about weak things. We're talking about failure and how hard everything is and how frustrated we are. We're always talking about the negative. But, so we have to flip that around and start talking about the positive all the time because it's a habit. You know, we talk about cursings like the cursings have more power than the blessings do. And it feels like that because that's why everybody else does. Right? The whole evening news, um, whether the news is, you know, most people don't listen to the evening news anymore, but the news is like 24-7 now. It's on blogs. It's on podcasts. It's on articles. It's on TV. It's on your tablet. Right? It's always talking about evil happening. It's always talking about loss and defeat. That's like the main stories all the time. It magnifies evil. It doesn't magnify God. Right? So if you're waiting for somebody else to, to magnify God for you, then you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna have some trouble. You know, some people go to church and you know they see God magnified a little bit. I guess it depends on what church you go to, but you have to learn to do it yourself. You have your own relationship with God. It's great to be able to get together with other people. Right, who believe like you believe, of like precious faith, the family of God, it's good to be around the, those kinds of people who believe in righteousness, who believe in truth. 
But you, you're going to have to learn to pray it, think it, speak it. And you're going to have to have that be the focus. You know, it's... I, I, we were watching a, um, a movie the other day, and it was about a family raising Christian family, but they were kind of like nominal Christians. You know, like if some of their day they, you know, they prayed and maybe looked at the Bible, and but then the rest of the day they forgot about that. They were just busy with life. Their life didn't center around God. God was just another thing, you know. So if, if you center your life around your relationship with God— then on the, in the center of the circle, that's what it is. And then, you know, your job is on the outside and, and your hobbies and your things, the things that you pursue are all around that. That's like the center of everything. Then it becomes easier to remember these things, right? Because you're always, you're, you're going to start talking about you're blessed and not cursed. You're the head and not the tail. You're above only and not beneath. All these things in Galatians chapter 28, the, all the blessings belong to you because of Jesus. They all belong to him. That's why they belong to you. De Deuteronomy 28, all those blessings belong to Jesus. And by association, they belong to you. And so you have to start rehearsing that in your thoughts, in your words, and everything before it will feel like a reality to you. And once it seems like a reality, that's, that's faith. That's your faith growing. And you'll begin to see some of these things become a part of your outward experience. You see, and that's where the practical part comes in. How do we get this, you know, what do we have to do to um, get this from being in a book to actually experiencing it in our, in our everyday life? And you have to begin to focus on it. You have to begin to talk about it. You have to begin to pray about it. All of those things that belong to you in Christ Jesus the Bible talks about. Anyway, uh, that's that's the thought I wanted to share with you today. I could go on more about this, but um, I think that's that's enough to chew on, isn't it? So um, this is the second week I've done a podcast. Uh, before I was doing it once a month, and I dropped like every six weeks. A few times I went to um, once every other month, but I, I want to really focus on uh, connecting more with you, those of you who listen to this podcast and, and the people out there that are really struggling um, to, to make headway as they go through their own tests and trials. So if you know someone that you think would be blessed by listening to this podcast, please share the link with them, and um, that would be great. So uh, this is Jim. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day, and I will see you again soon. <music>